everybody, Michael Davis here and welcome to Bone to Pick and our final interview for 2016. And I'm uh, absolutely honored to uh, have a chance to sit down with our featured artist for the month of December, the great Eric Rolski. Eric is the principal horn of the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra, a position he has held since 2010. And uh, we'll talk about it in the interview, but an amazing story. He also won the principal job with the Los Angeles Philharmonic the same exact week. So it's a, kind of a legendary story. I'm sure all you horn players know that, but we'll talk to him about that. It's going to be great. Uh, he was, uh, for 17 years, a member of the New York Philharmonic. Uh, he has been guest principal with the Cleveland Orchestra and the Philadelphia Orchestra. Uh, previous to that, he's held positions in the Houston Symphony, the Vancouver Symphony, the Florida Symphony, and the Tulsa Philharmonic. He is a member of the faculty at the Juilliard School as well as Manus College. He is active worldwide as a soloist and a chamber, mus chamber musician, a guest lecturer and teacher. Uh, he's very active in the uh, freelance world of New York and the studios. And uh, he and I have had the, the good fortune, I should say, I've had the good fortune to work with Eric uh, many, many times in the studio. Always a pleasure to play with him and always a pleasure being around him uh, personally. So, Eric, thanks so much for taking time out of your insanely busy schedule to <laughs> come over today and uh, talk to us about your incredible career. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I really appreciate it. And. Uh... Happy holidays, everybody. I didn't yeah. realize I was going to be the last one I, of uh, I, uh, 2016. I like, I like the green. There very we go. nice, that's, very that's, appropriate. Yeah, very that's good. Jesus <laughs> greetings. Well, let's talk about, um, you know, you grew up in the New York area and Long Island, went to Juilliard. Maybe talk about some of those uh, beginning memories you have of getting to, getting on the French horn and early teachers and so forth. Sure. Um, well, we'll go back to the beginning. Mm. Um, you know, I'm a product of public schools, and thank God uh, where I, I grew up in Long Island, uh, we still had, you know, music programs in the school. And so I, fourth grade, you got to pick an instrument and join <laughs> the band. And, um, well, my dad was, uh, uh, by profession, he was a psychiatrist. He was a doctor. But putting himself through med school, he was, uh, he was a jazz trumpet player, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, he played big cool. bands. And, nice. and he was an 802 member, okay. you know, <laughs> playing gigs in the Catskills awesome. on the weekends. And... Um, so in the bottom of his closet, he had his old trumpet. But I guess as fourth trumpet player in the big band uh, that he was in, he he um, sometimes would play uh, slow ballad on the horn. He had picked up a horn in a pawn shop or something. So he had a horn in the bottom of his closet. And I have an older brother who's like just uh, uh, 20 months older than me. And yeah, they're talking about sibling rivalry at that age. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he would grab the trumpet. And, you know, we'd just hack them on my dad's instruments as, as kids, and I would grab the horn. And uh, I guess it was the one thing I could do better than my older brother was that uh, we would imitate this cartoon that was on uh, the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. It was called The Hunter. And, and The Hunter was a, he was a private eye beagle, uh, like Sherlock Holmes with a pipe and all that. And they'd roll the credits on the cartoon, and he'd come out and say, I am the hunter. And he'd pull out this French horn and make an elephant call. And, and apparently, you know, when I was six, I could do that way better than my older brother. So that became my instrument. And so fourth grade, I get to pick a, a band instrument, so I picked the horn. And, you know, here's a fingering chart, kid. And, and you know, you play after beats for a bunch of years. And, and uh, at the same time, I had studied piano uh, and uh, since age five or something and then one of the you know continued through and around about eighth grade uh, it was one of those events that seemed like the worst possible thing but turned out to be <laughs> actually the best thing was my piano teacher fired me 
<laughs> she let me go. Uh, <laughs> and uh, my dad said, hey, you know, if you're not going to take piano lessons, why don't you take horn lessons? And so in, in ninth grade, I started horn lessons. And that was really the beginning of the end. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it was, um, you know, I guess I had some natural ability. But I, had a, I was lucky enough, I had a great teacher. His name was Paul Rudolph. Uh, he was uh, a Juilliard grad and a former student of uh, James Chambers. He played principal horn uh, early in his career in the Indianapolis Symphony. Mm. And, uh, and, but he was a brilliant musician all the way around, a great pianist, and he conducted. And uh, so he had started a, a youth orchestra on Long Island called the Training Orchestra. Uh, it went on to be renamed Gemini Orchestra, and I think it still exists today, uh, oh, which cool. is a legacy to his memory. He's been uh -huh. gone, gone for uh, nearly 20 years now. But um, so, yeah, studying with him, I mean, he was like, so excited and he got me going and, 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 you know, the second year he got me, you know, you're good enough to play in the orchestra, that, this training orchestra. So uh, playing in orchestra, man, was such a gas for me uh, uh, after coming out of band. You know, band horn parts aren't usually all that flattering. <laughs> uh, you're the afterbeat king. Yeah, uh, And uh, so playing in orchestra, man, I just couldn't believe you know how great the the horn parts were in the repertoire and 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 I was hooked I mean uh, another funny thing is you know you look back and you see you know how things play out um I was always a math science you know excelled in those subjects and in ninth tenth and eleventh grade I had a string of just crappy uh <laughs> math science teachers and uh I kind of you know lost a little edge uh, or interest in in that whole thing just as the whole music thing was kicking in so mm. Um, yeah, um, and, 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 and my parents were musical, that helped, and, and uh, my, both my parents and, and grandparents were uh, subscribers to the Philharmonic uh, going back to the 40s, uh, you know, Carnegie Hall. Oh, wow. Yeah, That's very uh, cool. yeah when I was cleaning out uh, my, my mom's house, I found, you know, some programs, you know, like Bruno Walter record, uh, uh, conducting, you know, and whatever. Um, it seemed like every program I found, I found about 25 programs of the Philharmonic in those days. Uh, that I gave the uh, Philharmonic Archives, but it seemed like every program was just legendary people, you know, that we, you know, Amazing. yeah. But, um, so that was, you grew up uh, in New York, the home team was the Philharmonic. It was like, you know, uh, some kids want to be a member of the Yankees, so I wanted to be a member of the Philharmonic, and... Uh, they must have been so proud of you, that's an unbelievable yeah, uh, story. So. Yeah, <laughs> I think they were, they were, they were. Uh, yeah, and to all my parents' friends, I'm, I apologize right now for all the gushy, <laughs> sure, the stories that they told. But um, yeah, so that was that was my hook into uh, the world of music and uh, the world of horn. Yeah, very cool. So that, and then then you went right from there to uh, to Juilliard, right? Yeah, You're straight into. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I auditioned to get into Juilliard and oh, wow. uh, didn't yeah. get in. Um, uh -huh. But, you know, uh, it was, uh, you know, it was a year in which there was only one opening <laughs> and I didn't get it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's part of anybody's path in the career of music. There's mm -hmm. always setbacks and obstacles and it's how you deal with it that I think sort of is a measure of, uh, a, a, certainly a test of one's uh, drive and motivation, uh, a time to sort of reflect and say, wait a minute now, I, I've got to get better somehow. Mm. And that, that challenge is, is a good thing, you know? I mean, you, you can always look at things two different ways. And I think uh, obstacles like that, um, you know, do, what's the expression? Something about the, the stone in which you sharpen your blade against or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I'm really bad with, uh, with 
metaphors like yeah, that. That's, but, that's but, a really good one, actually. But yeah, yeah uh, so I didn't get in. And uh, so my, my backup plan, uh, which is what I chose to do, was I went to uh, SUNY at Purchase, State University, mm. State University of New York, about 45 minutes out of Manhattan. And um, uh, because it was a fairly new school at the time, um, the arrangement there is you could study with anybody uh, in the metropolitan area. And they would cover your lessons up to a certain point. So I studied with the teacher I would have studied and went on to study with uh, eventually at Juilliard. Uh, his name was Rainier Diantinis. He was the third horn in the New York Philharmonic. And um, so I would just commute down once a week into Manhattan, have lessons with him at Juilliard. Um, and uh, um, I spent two years sort of being, you know, a big fish in a little pond. Mm -hmm. um, which was good. I, I would have gotten eaten alive at Juilliard coming out of high school. I was, you know, green, very naive, and uh, obviously, you know, probably not ready. But, um, you know, I worked hard for those two years, and uh, he was a great teacher. And I got in, and I transferred in, and, uh, and then I finished my, uh, my undergrad degree there. Um, uh, took an extra year because there's always credits that I don't transfer, <laughs> but it was good. It, you know, you just had a extra time. I, I um, made up the time later. I went back for a master's degree. Uh, in those days, you could do a master's degree in one year if you had done your undergrad degree there. So, you know, I still had six years of college, and mm -hmm. I got both degrees at Juilliard ultimately. And I continued my studies with uh, with Mr. D. Antennas. Mm, nice. You know, one of the things uh, many of you do know, uh, Eric's career has been... Uh, just exemplary, and he's achieved the highest levels in the orchestral world. But what I found fascinating in, in kind of doing some research for this interview is the path that, that uh, you took and, and, and all those steps in those orchestras. And I was just kind of interested, take us through what that was like, maybe winning your first auditions, and you know, in particular starting in Tulsa and then Florida and, and uh, Vancouver. Um, just really great you know, building blocks each step of the way. And I was just curious, a, your, your, your thoughts looking back on that, and then also just how, how that helped shape what was to come for you, uh, which this tremendous success that you've had. Thanks. Thanks. It's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, as I teach, you know, I've had to reflect back on, on, on my own career, my own path, and it, it's, um, I mean, I have hit really, I think, every rung on the ladder, you know, to get to where I am today, and, and uh, you know, and I'm grateful for it, really. Uh, I mean, some people are lucky enough to, you know, graduate and the next day their principal horn in the Berlin Philharmonic or something crazy. <laughs> uh, that wasn't my career, but that's, it, it was important, uh, I think, to, um, you know, uh, take uh, uh, stock and in, in, in measurement of oneself and one's growth and say, okay, I'm ready for the next step or, uh, or earn each step along the way. Um, and, and things work out the way they're supposed to, ultimately. But I, I think my, my first inspiration was I wasn't really happy at Juilliard, Juilliard once I got there. Um, you know, it's, it was a very competitive environment, and that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I survived Juilliard, but I, 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 in my senior year, and I thought, oh, no, no, I'm tired of school. This was my fifth year undergrad because, uh, like I said, I had transferred. Mm -hmm. So I... Um, I was motivated to get a job, <laughs> and I, I couldn't buy a part at Juilliard. In, in those days, um, you took one audition your first day of school, and that was it for the, for the, the rest of my years there. Now, now oh, wow. uh, like most schools, we have a very professional audition uh, every semester behind a screen. You get a list. You've got to prepare it. And so every semester is an opportunity to prove yourself and to, to you know, earn you know, better, better seating assignments in orchestra. But back then, it was sort of done mysteriously in some administrative office, and um, 
uh, I, it just doesn't seem to be the favorite son there, but mm. um, it's okay. It's one of those things. <laughs> like I said, it challenges you, and you have to say, well, you know, what do I have to do? You know, yeah. to, so. But I, I, I had sort of enough of that, and I thought I got to get out of school. And so I took uh, eight auditions. I remember now, um, and I, I had some reasonable success. Uh, you know, in the first, you know, seven where I was making finals and. Uh, for some decent jobs, and uh, the one I won um, uh, just at, uh, after graduation was uh, Tulsa, mm -hmm. Tulsa Philharmonic, and um, you know I was so 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 glad to not have to go back to school. It was a one-year position. The principal was on leave, but um, it didn't matter to me. It was like finally some someone was going to like pay me to play first horn, <laughs> where I, I couldn't seem to get off, you know, second or fourth horn chair in the Juilliard Orchestra. So. Um, uh, but I remember uh, the conductor after the audition, uh, you know, sat me down. He was like, you know, told me how thrilled they were to, ha that, you know, to have me. And he was talking up the orchestra and, and he was saying, you know, how they have, were turning over from like a, a nighttime per service orchestra. They had this core group of about 12 players, uh, of which I was one. We were salaried. Wasn't a whole lot of money, but <laughs> <laughs> but he was saying, you know, how how you know the orchestra is really the talent is pouring into the orchestra. He said the the principal bassoon is, is an extraordinary talent. He's a senior in high school, and I thought, oh my god, <laughs> what am I getting myself into? <laughs> you know, uh, this was supposed to be the big time. Like I'm out of school and I want a job. But the, the principal bassoon turned out to be David McGill, who went on to become the principal bassoon <laughs> of the Cleveland Orchestra and later the Chicago Symphony. So <laughs> he was a right. As advertised. As <laughs> advertised, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, actually, surprisingly, you look back, there were a number of players who came out of that orchestra who did really well. But anyway, so it was, that was a great learning experience. And, it, you know, the first job, and you're getting to play all oh, the great rep, you know, the notes are the same whether you're sitting in Tulsa mm -hmm. or Vienna, right? Mm -hmm. And and so you got to play them, and you're being paid to, uh, uh, you know, as, as a professional, to get the job, the to get the job done, mm -hmm. not to try, mm -hmm. as they say. Right, right. <laughs> so um, I had a great time in, in that first year, and sadly the year came up. The principal came back, and I was out of work. So at that point, I thought. I'll go back to Juilliard. <laughs> I've been a big success as a principal horn player now, a professional, and I'm going to clean up and I'll get my master's degree. And um, I, I didn't really get any better parts of Juilliard that year, but um, I actually, uh, it was a year in which I spent a lot of time um, subbing New Jersey Symphony. There was vacancy there, so I got continued to get some principal experience in the section. Mm -hmm. I was playing uh, mostly third and fourth horn uh, on a sort of per per service basis. And um, I graduated at, uh, that year, I got my master's at Juilliard, and then I had a year of freelancing, um, which I had decided fairly early on that it was something I didn't want to continue to do. I all respected the people who do it and do it as well. I, there's so many great players in, in, in New York, but it was just to me uh, the insecurity uh, of, uh, um, you know, and especially because I was sort of low on the totem pole, you know, a young player coming out of school, you just don't know uh, week to week, you know, month to month, you know, what you're going to make. Um, and so uh, I thought, well, I loved the one year I had in Tulsa, you know, took a string of auditions again. That's when I won uh, a Florida orchestra job in Orlando, now called the Orlando Philharmonic. Uh, it's been Kay. reorganized. And uh, it was another great year for me. Uh, sadly, I was only there one year, um, but that was the beginning, uh, the next step of climbing that ladder. Um, 
it was more of an orchestra, you know, uh, in terms of if everyone was salaried, everyone was full time in the orchestra. Uh, it was a busy, I think, 34 week season uh, at the time. And um, so, I, uh, uh, mid year, mid season, I won the job in Vancouver, knew I'd be leaving. And um, yeah, that was, that was a long move from one corner of the continent to sure. the other. Yeah. Um, but uh, Vancouver to me, that was um, a real step up, though. Uh, a really fine sounding orchestra. Um, and um, they had a beautiful concert hall, still do. Uh, it was one of those old movie theaters, um, you know, gilded, plaster, you know, built in the 20s, but had great acoustics and um, uh, really uh, fine ensemble. Uh, the music director was Kazuoshi Akiyama, a Japanese man who was, uh, he's still conducting, um, but a really, really talented, wonderful musician. And mm. um, it, it felt like, uh, you know, close to the, to the big time in terms of we had 45 weeks uh, season uh, where the vacation weeks were rotated, so they really had 45 weeks of production, uh, which is probably more than most major orchestras. Uh, most major orchestras are dark for the eight or nine weeks of vacation musicians mm. get. So, and um, you were playing principal in Vancouver as well. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so you know, I, uh, the repertoire was that much more challenging in an orchestra like that. The level of playing was higher, so you learned a lot from your colleagues um, playing. Um, like I said, you know, on yet. An, another level higher, um, and uh, the challenges are greater. So you know everyone's digging in deeper, and, and um, you know having to bring more to the table. And um, you know we toured, we made records uh, like you know big orchestras do, and um, I loved it. I mean I, I I always tell my students to this day because if you've never been to Vancouver, it's one of the gorgeous. most yeah. beautiful places yeah. in the no, world. No doubt. And one of the great cities, too. And it's so in international and cosmopolitan, and it's got so much variety of, you know, uh, you know neighborhoods and, you know, culture, different cultures. But, uh, so I always tell them, you know, while I, while I wasn't making a ton of money there, you know, it's, um, um, if I was still there, I think I'd be still happy, because <laughs> it's, you know, fame and fortune, but you know, happiness is defined by whatever makes people happy, right? Yeah. And um, it's not always about fame and fortune. And, yeah. and um, I, I love there the beauty of that. It's a place you, you can go skiing in the in the in the uh, in the morning, and you can go swimming in the ocean in the <laughs> afternoon. It's like, I mean, I, people think I was lying, but when I lived in North Vancouver, I was literally five minutes to the to the ski lift to the uh, up the up the mountain, uh, and it was about. Uh, eight minutes down to the water, to the ocean. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. That's great. Um, well, from there you went to Houston Symphony. Talk a little bit about your time there. I know that was also very uh, important in, 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 in the yeah. development of your career. Yeah, it, it was. Um, it was uh, tough, tough to leave Vancouver mm -hmm. in many ways. Um, and yet, um, I had seen the uh, cycle uh, as orchestras go through uh, was on a decline. Um, my first year, as I mentioned, in Vancouver was a 45-week season. The second year was 41 weeks, and the third year started out with like a two-week lockout, um, and, and you know we settled in at 39 weeks or something. Mm. And um, so I took this audition for, it was a, another one-year position, but it was an um, associate principal uh, for H the Houston Symphony. Um, and um, 
the Houston Symphony is a 52-week season orchestra. Um, the Canadian dollar was really weak at the time, and me making greenbacks <laughs> <laughs> in the states, uh, it, it meant a, you know a financial security uh, that was a little hard to, harder to scrape together in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. But my time in Houston, yeah, that was yet you know another step on the ladder towards you know being in the big league, a 52-week uh, orchestra, which in the United States, what are there maybe about 20 of them. Mm -hmm. um, so I felt really fortunate, lucky, and it was it was a great group of musicians um, at the time. I'm sure it still is to this day. But um, uh, I shared the principal job with Bill Clapp Caballero, um, and uh, who's now principal in the Pittsburgh Symphony. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I was there for six years, and I had never been anywhere for six years. Mm. And I was I was this guy who was on the move, you know. I mean, it was like. Every job I had, it was you know, it was either one year and I'm on to the next uh, uh, step up the ladder, or um, uh, three years I had in Vancouver. So six years, I started thinking about you know, is this it? But uh, I, again, I think that um, I, I, I'm just a guy who who I, I think you know, I'll always find choose a way to be happy, and I, I like to think that anyway <laughs> myself. Maybe maybe people watching this would go, that's not the guy I know. But in all seriousness, though, I I um, I found you know um, uh, a lot of fun things I enjoyed about being in Houston. There's a lot of culture there, and um, being the associate principal uh, meant I had more time off. You know, um, you kind of do the cleanup for mm -hmm. uh, the principal. You split the job and, and you divide up uh, the workload. So uh, I found, you know, after being principal, you know, uh, in, in the other orchestras I had been in, that this gave me a lot more time off. So um, I, I got busy with hobby. I got into pottery in a big way. <laughs> yeah, I had ceramics, and I, I bought a wheel. I set up in my garage a whole pottery wow, studio. Wow, good for and you. Yeah, That's I awesome. mean, I, I, I ended up my final project, and I made like you know 120 uh, match set of dinnerware, <laughs> which I still have, you know. And it was, uh, but it's part of you know. I mean, you got to have a life too, you know. I, I've been you know work, 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 career, career, you know, up to this point, you know, and. I, I, I um, settled down, I bought a house, you know, um, and I was prepared that, you know, uh, if I was uh, going to spend the next 30 years in Houston, you know, that they would be uh, enjoyable years uh, for myself. Um, and, um, of course, as soon as you buy a house and, set, and say, I'm, I'm ready to be here for 30 years, Eight months later, I won a job in your film. I was on my way out. Uh, yeah, so, you know, you never know what's around the corner. you listen to you young horn players out there. Go buy a house, you'll win an audition. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Like, Maybe not quite. <laughs> well, then there's the other headache. I'm quick, i got to sell this without losing my shirt. Um, well, let's, uh, maybe we could talk about that because I think that's, it, that's such a, an incredible... Uh, um, you know, for you coming from New York, you're, like you mentioned, your grandparents and parents, fans of New York Philharmonic, and now all of a sudden you're in the premier, or at least one of the premier orchestras in the world, certainly. Um, I, this is such a wide question, I have a hard time even asking. Just Ask away. T t tell us about your your time there. You were there for 13 years in the Philharmonic? Or no, it, no, it 17. 17, Don't okay. cheat me I out of my pension here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 17 years in the Philharmonic. 
I mean, what a brass section with Phil Smith and Joe Alessi and Phil Myers and Warren Deck was there for a lot of your years, I think. Yeah. Um, and yourself. And I mean, I, I'm leaving people out, but it's just top to bottom, one of the finest brass oh, yeah. sections in the history of orchestras as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, tell us about what it was like being in the New York Philharmonic and working with uh, in the section with Phil Myers. But anything you want to talk about with your sure. memories. Well, you can imagine, this is 1993 and, and when I won the job um, in Houston. And I win this job, um, and it was like, uh, you know, it was for third horn, and it didn't matter to me. You know, I'd, I'd been the guy who played first horn his whole life, but you know, the the twelve year old kid who wanted to be, you know, you know, part of the Yankees <laughs> or the equivalent of the Yankees for me, that was sure. the York Philharmonic. It was like, you know, I, I'm going, and uh, it was, yeah. I mean, what a what a time to be there and a member of that brass section. Um, uh, I was thrilled, of course, to be moving um, back home, um, you know, for all kinds of reasons. Um, certainly, uh, family uh, who's still living in New York, uh, and the job itself. And um, I, um, it was, it was, you know, if you think you've won a job in the major orchestra and you know everything you need to know, you're kidding yourself. Um, I think to this day, I, st I still try to, <laughs> you know, realize I'm still learning, um, but. To sit in uh, an orchestra with that much talent, um, there was so much to learn from everybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the brass section, as you mentioned, you have these great leaders uh, at the time. Uh, Phil Myers on principal horn, Phil Smith on principal trumpet, Joe Alessi on principal trombone, uh, Warren Deck was our tuba player. And uh, these were people, um, uh, and are people, uh, who are so committed to you know what they do and to do it to the highest level, and it just, um, you know, they're thinking about things uh, that sh I hadn't thought of, you know, to that point previously. Um, ways, you know, things about music, things about playing an ensemble, uh, playing some of the same repertoire I, I knew so well in all the years I played principal, um, but relearning it, you know, in a new way um, with uh, that higher standard in mind. Um, but the precision of, of uh, when you have such strong leaders uh, of ensemble playing, and now I'm a member of an ensemble where I had been, you know, uh, a section leader uh, in my career up to that point was really important to me. I mean, I, I think of myself as an easygoing, get-along person, and um, so it, it was uh, easy, I think, for me to take a secondary role here and say, okay, you know, it's team, mm -hmm. and it's, there's no I in team uh, for that <laughs> cliche. And, uh, and yeah, I, you know, that was, Phil Myers is, is, a, is a very um, strong leader, and he's very, you know, particular about uh, um, how, how he wants to hear his section uh, play and his concept of things. And so, yeah, you have to put your ego aside. Uh, and I think when everybody's on the same page, uh, as I felt it was at the time that we're we're in this to just sound as good as we possibly can, and um, your egos have to be checked at the door. Uh, the results stand for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I think mm -hmm. that um, uh, you know there, there'd be things sometimes that. Uh, Phil would rewrite things to make 
make it make more sense to what, from what the composer does. The, the end result would be the same, but it maybe meant that the part that you love to play was now in the first horn part, and you were going to swap notes here and there. Sometimes it worked the other way, where I'd be playing some of his notes because of you know, the register, he was having to make a certain approach into something more touchy, and I would maybe happen to be up in that register. I mean, it was, it was reciprocal, but it was, it, was, it was just about getting to a place where the music sounded better. Um, wow, that's mean, fascinating. I didn't know that the, the yeah, oh, he's, they ha have that kind of uh, yeah. la latitude to make those kind of uh, dis uh, well, choices. I think, but yeah, I mean, if, if in, the, in the end result, you know, if, if someone's like jumping an octave and someone's only going to have to move a third, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's risky on a, on a nightly basis to, to, you know, if you can simplify it and it ends up sounding the same, the, the same notes are covered. Um, we would do stuff like that, but you know, it's also a reflection on you know uh, Phil Myers and, and 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 so many of the great players in the orchestra at the time. I mean, they knew the score. They, yeah, they studied yeah. it. They and and they knew, you know, how to solve problems. And it wasn't just oh, here's my part, I'm going to play it. You know, it was like, no, it was the whole, you know, you you, you knew your part, you knew how it fit in, you knew uh, as a section leader how to uh, address the issues uh, and, the, and the difficulties of, of passage work. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was like that kind of daily experience. I mean, you know, Phil could get in your face, um, you know, uh, he, he doesn't pull punches. Uh, but again, if you remind yourself at the end of the day that this is for the greater good, you know, it just, you let it roll off your back. Um, and focus on the message of, of what we're trying to do. I think um, it's a, a great, great piece of advice for that you just gave me. But like, really, like the fact that all of you would be understanding what's going on in the score. I mean, it's such an important thing. And I think as brass players, we, I have a tendency, but you, you kind of get in your own world a little bit, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what a great, what a great piece of advice you just gave us there. But like, the the ability to look outside that and see the bigger picture. And and uh, anyway, didn't, not to interrupt no. you at all, but I just thought that was a. a Point worth uh, emphasizing is really a really something that's important. Yeah, no, I think it's it is a it is something to emphasize because, you know, um, I have sat on enough committees in my day, and we've had horn openings in in the last uh, you know half dozen years. I was the Philharmonic. I heard a lot of you know uh, in, in recent years of auditions there. Um, I hear a lot of auditions just you know as I teach, and it's one of the things that you know uh, I, I I say to you know. Uh, all young players out there and anybody aspiring to uh, succeed in auditions is like not just know your part like you said you know that's assumed mm. but know how your part fits into the whole because that uh, makes you a better musician in, in a way and I think we as brass players sometimes um, uh, we see you know composers will write forte at the beginning of a passage and nothing changes you know the conductors I mean composers uh, don't give you every little detail they don't you know, put every hairpin to show you the shadings and the phrasings, or, and um, but you know it's a big tutti passage and it says forte. And I think we as brass players, um, you know, we tend to just you know pedal to the metal and take it <laughs> out and not realize, oh wait a minute now, this part of it is melody and this part of it well, I'm going to sort of drop down to secondary here and it doesn't say to come down to mezzo forte, but you know, right. knowing the score right. and knowing how it fits in, you got to be smart because um, otherwise you're going to spend you know, your whole life having conductors say to you, you know, brass, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear the beginning of the note drop down, please. You, you know, there's other important stuff during that football you're playing that you're burying and stuff like that. You, you know, why, why, you know, take that, 
take that argument out of, <laughs> out, out of their uh, uh, their script and yeah. and and show them that you're, you're a more sensitive musician than that. And so that that comes down to knowing the score and and not just the part. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's jump ahead to the to the Met. And I, I just want to say from a personal note, you know, we there was a period where there was. Yeah, quite a bit of recording work going on in New York. And I remember I used to see you on a you know, fairly regular basis and uh, you were uh, in the finals for the Met, in the finals for L.A. And I remember it was kind of, it was, uh, became like a legendary thing in the brass world and certainly in the French horn world. But then it, then you came back and you were like, well, I won the position in the Met. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And, and I also won the position in the L.A. Philharmonic. And it yeah. was really a, an incredible feat. And uh, uh, obviously it was a, a decision that was you had to weigh very seriously. Those two super major uh, jobs. But just uh, reflect back on that. It wasn't that many years ago now. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I know. But uh, what, what was that like and, and uh, just the experience of uh, having both things in your court at once? Sure. It was a lucky problem to have. I don't say that. <laughs> it wasn't lost on me. Uh, it, was a, it was an amazing year, year and a half for me, that whole, that whole run. Because um, on top of it, you know, you know, my younger son was born and, you know, I moved into a new house and it was like the trifecta, new job and, you know, it's like winning the lottery. But, um, uh, yeah, um, I guess um, what had changed for me in a way was uh, it, it, it began actually a uh, half dozen years or, or more earlier. Uh, there was uh, around 2002, I think it was Mazel's first year, uh, Phil was out for much of a season. And so the associate principal, uh, my friend and colleague, Jerome Ashby, moved up to principal, and I moved up to play associate principal. So this was sort of a return to me for what I had been doing earlier in my career. And uh, I, I was like, suddenly, with, with all the years of, of sort of training I had as third horn in, in a very um, uh, you know, in musically inspired, shall I say, and grow a period of, of growing, um, of, of, of trying to reach a, you know, a new level of, of, of excellence that I found at the Philharmonic, um, I, I felt better prepared for playing principal. I was, I was having a great time uh, moving up. It was temporary. I did it for about eight months, that, uh, nine months that season. And, um, you know, you get a lot of support from your colleagues. It's like suddenly, oh, wow, I didn't know you could do that kind of thing. <laughs> and, um, and uh, yeah, I, you know, Mazel was really supportive. And, um, and so I went back to my old job. And then, uh, tragically, uh, my colleague Jerome Ashby uh, was um, diagnosed with cancer. And um, uh, it was one of those tragic stories. Yeah. Um, it was two years of, of, of watching him, you know, in decline, and he was such a trooper. He, you know, came to work as he can, but for much of his final two years, I, I, I did move up and play his, his position. Uh, and then after he passed away in 2007, um, I moved up and played his job until, uh, until I left the orchestra in 2010. So, um, yeah, that was my my uh, sort of preparation for the next chapter in my life, mm -hmm. and um, uh, so I I auditioned for um, L.A. Phil, and um, the first was uh, audition. Uh, there were two of us in the finals, and we were both then subsequently, as a result of that, invited to play uh, a week with the orchestra. Um, and that was the fall of 2009. Um, um, Gustavo Dudamel had just 
started as music director. In fact, I think the week I played was like his third week as mm. music director. And um, uh, that was an intense week. Um, I, uh, you know, aside from playing the, the, the subscription concert, uh, the process there involved uh, an excerpt audition with the orchestra as your accompanist. So we took like a half an hour, 40 minutes out of rehearsal, and, you know, I had these excerpts up, the orchestra had the parts, and we'd, okay, Helden laid an opening, and oh, you do wow, it. Oh, wow, yeah. full orchestra. Full yes. orchestra. Oh, let's do that, you know, wow. again, and, and, and we're, now let's move on to this. And we, you know, we went through, you know, uh, ten excerpts or whatever it was uh, with me playing in the orchestra, which is really an amazing and an interesting way of, of trying somebody out. Uh, so it wasn't just like solo audition, solo excerpts on stage. Uh, I had already done that that part of the audition. But the other uh, part of my trial that week was um, uh, I had to do a half-hour recital in the hall, Disney Hall, where the whole orchestra is invited to come. I mean, you have a committee, um, and, and I guess we had about 30 people in, in the audience um, with piano when I prepared a recital, and uh, and then you played the subscription concert too. So that was a fairly intensive wow. week. <laughs> um, Talk about nerve wracking. I mean, I would think I would think having to play with the whole orchestra would be more nerve wracking than by yourself. And in, in a certain regard, you know, just yeah. Being, was that because it's the importance of the principal horn position? The, or I assume so. That would I would guess that's what was their thinking obviously was. Obviously, they couldn't do that on a, every chair, yeah. but like a principal no. horn position is so important. Right. Yeah. I think at the same time they were auditioning principal bassoon, and they had done the same thing for the bassoon player as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's you know, to me, it, it makes sense because uh, I think the thing that we all realize about auditions is that auditions, uh, in some ways. Is a, is a real disconnect from playing stuff alone on stage. Um, certainly is a, is a measure of something, uh, of some ability, but it, it doesn't quite necessarily relate to you know, the job. And, and, mm. and, and to, for an orchestra who's looking to hire somebody to actually hear them in the job, I mean, the, the subscription week was its own you know, chance to hear somebody play in the orchestra, to play that, uh, that week with them. But to, to hear variety repertoire in, in a short, you know, half hour, 40 minutes, whatever it was, uh, and go through with hearing that player um, playing this rep repertoire, I would like to think it, you know, it was very revealing, especially <laughs> since I won. But, but, but I, uh, um, no, it's, a, it's a not, I, I don't, I can't imagine every orchestra would have that, um, uh, you know, the, the budget and the time, uh, sure. you know, in, in their schedules to, to do that. But, yeah, it's, it's an interesting um, uh, idea. But it was, you know, you don't, when you, that's the thing, when you're auditioning for a job, you don't get to make the rules, uh, you know, you just have to play by them and uh, jump through the hoops that yeah. they put up. So uh, that's what I did. And um, so uh, the process there is you get um, a committee screens, the finalists and whoever makes it to the committee then gets presented, uh, that list gets presented to the music director uh, and the music director then makes the pick. Mm. Um, but it, it gets filtered through the committee first. So, um, you know, I was the only one who made it through that process and so Dudamel was then handed with one name. <laughs> um, <laughs> which all respect to him, you know, um, he, he went on tour, left LA, because it was the first season he only did six or eight weeks, I think. He wasn't back with the orchestra till April, so I sat with not knowing anything, oh, you know, wow. yeah. for for months. And in the meantime, uh, a friend of mine, who's now a colleague of mine, uh, Javier Gandara, uh, third horn in my section, who 
I knew from freelance stuff. Yeah, I know uh, Javier very well. Yeah, yeah exactly. We do dates with him, yeah, yeah, absolutely. recording stuff. Yeah. And I, he used to, uh, he, he subbed with us at the Philharmonic, uh, too. Uh, we'd see him there. And he's, I always loved hanging out with Javier. He's such a, a warm it's guy and, 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 and interesting to talk to about yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he calls me, and he's, he's very perceptive. So he calls me up and he says, are you going to take the Met audition? And I was like, Javier, I, I, I've got a little bit of opera experience, but man, I just wouldn't know where to start with, you know, this, I'm not going to know anything on this list. He proceeded then in this phone conversation to tell me, like, why I was right for the job and why the job was right for me, <laughs> you know, given where I was in my life and whatever. And uh, so I thought, hey, you know, what do I have to lose? Um, I said, promise me one thing. I'll, I'll learn the stuff, and I just want to... Can I play them for you once so you can just tell me if I'm like how I'm doing with like <laughs> tempos, if I'm right or, you know, spot on and, and, and or if I'm missing out on like traditional, it's opera, you know, traditional rubatos that are taken, whatever. So we got together one time and he and I said, yeah, well, this could be a little faster or, the, you know, stretch this a little bit more. But, you know, I prepared it and, uh, yeah, late May I won uh, the Met job and I still hadn't heard from L.A. at that point. And, but uh, as luck would have it, the, the next day, LA came to New York on tour <laughs> to play the whole weekend uh, at uh, Lincoln Center. So I contacted them and just said, "Look, you know, I don't know where you guys are at with um, your, uh, the principal horn position. I, I, you know, I haven't heard anything since the, the um, these last few months, and I just want to let you know that uh, yesterday I won the principal horn job at the Met." So, you know, four days later, they offered me the job. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, which I was uh, thrilled. And I, I mean, that's when you just go, oh, my God, how, you know, how much better can this get? And, um, you know, y you look at it from every possible angle when you've got, it, it, of course, there isn't a wrong decision to make it in, sure. in a situation like this. And uh, it was never lost on me how... Um, uh, the gratitude to, 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 to be so fortunate in, in this position. But you look at it from every possible angle about the, the pros and the cons. And uh, in the end, I chose to stay in New York um, for personal reasons as much as anything else. That, you know, I mean, look at the, the guy who ended up in the job, is Andrew Bain, and you know, he just played, you know, first horn in all the Star Wars, the, mm. the most recent Star Wars pictures. So, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it, 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 it was, there was a life there, too, that, that I knew that, you know, uh, I was um, saying no to. But I, I, I'm thrilled to, to, to be at the Met um, and to, to still be in, in New York. It's my hometown, uh, my family, my kids, my wife. We have a life here. And, uh, and, and um, it's, it's been you know, another amazing chapter uh, for me in my life because um, playing in the world of opera is, it, it's, you're still playing you know, horn in an orchestra. <laughs> But it couldn't be more different, you mm. know. What I, is that? That was going to be my next question. What is the difference? And I, and I have to say, I really enjoyed the International Horn Society uh, interview they did with you in which you uh, described how important it is to, uh, you know, take your, your liquid intake has to be a little more uh, focused than, than when you're playing in an orchestra. But you could uh, run with that as much as you like or not at all. <laughs> Don't say run. Uh, <laughs> 
Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, he was referring to just you know advice about playing opera is like don't drink too many liquids before you start because <laughs> yeah, those especially those Wagner operas, you know, it could be two and a half hours before you see a bathroom. But uh, <laughs> and that actually happened to me like my first season. It was an HD broadcast uh, where we we broadcast about ten or twelve times a year into movie theaters um, around the world. We go 60 countries, over 3,000 theaters, uh, probably reaching you know, half a million people in, in, in just an afternoon. Um, it's, it's a great thing for the Met, and it's a great thing for audiences around the world who you know, uh, don't have a great opera company near them. And uh, it's a great thing for movie theaters. It's a win-win-win all the way around, and it's, it's, sure. it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of money that gets made. But yeah, so you're you're doing that on a on a Saturday afternoon. It's like like maybe my second HD broadcast, and you know, it's, you wake up Saturday morning, you're dry and you're thirsty, <laughs> and you just think, oh, you know, I don't get dry mouth, so you, you start drinking water, and then it was like, it was Rheingold, which is the shortest of the of the Ring operas, um, but Rheingold is performed without intermission. It's straight through, and it's it's two hours and forty minutes roughly running time, maybe forty five because the HD broadcast. You know, there's an interview, a little pre-production, you know, before it starts, and wow, I got about 45 minutes in, and I was hurting, <laughs> oh, no. and and I had a, you know, it was like another hour before I got to a spot where I like saw 60 bars where I could I duck under the cameras and run out of the pit, take care of business, and and uh, and the assistant, you know, she, I think she had to cover like one two measure entrance or something. And, Wow, the, the, there's, the, there's, the, some, <laughs> there's some perspective for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I guess the theme is the yeah, operas along, but I mean, uh, uh, more about the job and, and mm -hmm. the difference between playing uh, in a symphony orchestra and an yeah. opera. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess for starters, you know, uh, one of one of the things I saw as 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 an appeal about going to the Met was was as a horn player, and and I don't, you know, every instrument it's different, but. Some of our greatest stuff, uh, orchestral stuff, comes out of opera, the, mm -hmm. the world mm -hmm. of opera. And, you know, of course, symphony orchestras do play excerpts. Uh, uh, some of those passage, passages are, are, are certainly done on concert stages. But, um, you know, to play in their entirety all, you know, the Ring operas, the Strauss operas, you know, the other Wagner operas, and then there's... I'm a huge fan. I'm a sucker for Italian, you know, um, um, romantic music, mm, Puccini mm, particularly. Mm, mm, and you know, it's like, I, you know, so it was like you have this whole other repertoire. Sadly, so much of it, you know, was not studied uh, in school. Um, only the stuff that gets performed by symphony orchestras on stage. So you learn the short call of Wagner. You learn the long call only because it shows up um, at auditions. Um, some of the overtures, you know, that are done on concert stages, so you know the overtures, but you don't know some of the the big stuff and the the arias that come later. So, um, yeah, it was like um, like a second career hmm. in a way it has been, uh, where you know at my age to still be learning such not just that it's new, but I, I think back to you know for any of us, I don't you know from I don't know what it was for you, but like. When I was at that age, uh, when I discovered orchestral stuff, like 12, 13, 14 years old, um, it was like, it was the Brahms symphonies. There, I just, like, I would wear out those records, you know, just, like, it's such incredible music. And um, so here I am at this age, the last seven years, I'm learning, you know, some incredible music and, and falling in love with it with the same kind of 
thrills and excitement that I felt like you know you had when you first you know it's the first time right yeah, you never yeah. forget the first time hearing it's, some of this 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 great stuff so that's so cool yeah, yeah that's, that's that's what was it for you awesome. what was what was the stuff you felt you know I mean, I'm trying I, to interview I, around I, on here now no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's about chairs. you well for me it was like I, I was fascinated by big bands and uh, and Buddy Rich and Woody Herman and like Frank Sinatra and all that kind of stuff and then of course you know, more straight-ahead jazz stuff, like smaller group stuff, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, that kind of stuff, so. Yeah. So, but, I mean, imagine <laughs> if there was, like, a whole other world of stuff that turned you on just as much. Yeah. That you were discovering now for yeah, the first absolutely. time. Absolutely, yeah. So that's, that's what it's been like for that's me. That's a very cool, uh, very cool thing. Um, you know, you touched on it just a tiny bit, and I wanted to ask you, you know, uh, especially nowadays, I'm reading more articles about you know the state of of the Met. There's a you know your general manager's had some success. He's also controversial. I've talked to various folks in this in the brass section. Mm -hmm. They have different thoughts about it and concerns about it. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, we're seeing it uh, with with symphony orchestras as well. You know, Pittsburgh. I don't know if they're still on strike, but uh, I believe they are. Uh, still. Philadelphia mm -hmm. had a thankfully well, a short-lived strike. Day, but, yeah. but um but still, there's there's. There's strife between management and uh, and, and the orchestras, yeah. and uh, mm -hmm. just wanted to pick your brain a little bit about the state of the, of the Met. Obviously, one of the premier uh, organizations anywhere in the artistic organizations anywhere in the world, but also the state of the uh, symphony orchestras, where you see things right yeah. now. Yeah, well, you know, it's a serious question. It's a serious business because you know the um, it's our business, and we have to. It's it's you know there was a, a maybe. A, a, a time and a place, you know, where uh, historically, you know, I don't know when that was. I think uh, maybe it never existed. What I'm referring to is the idea of when you, you know, you could win a job, show up, you had a job, there was going to be paychecks, uh, the orchestra was not going to go under, um, you know, there was, uh, um, you know, harmony in the workplace between management and musicians. I don't know that if that ever truly existed, but um, I think maybe there was a time, though, where there was more, certainly, um, government, uh, whether it was local government or federal government, more, more support for the arts. Um, there was more, uh, I think, commitment from the public that this was going to be part of their lives. That you know, mm -hmm. Tuesday night was the night we go to the symphony every mm -hmm. week. We have we take a subscription, we go, and it's thirty concerts. Maybe nobody does that anymore. I don't say nobody, but fewer and fewer people right. do. Uh, we're in this age where there's much more competition for uh, entertainment and entertainment dollars, and people have more choices. Even at home, look what we have now. You know, when I was growing up, yeah, there were six local TV sh chase stations. Right. There was no cable TV. You right, know, right. That, and so. Um, and now at home you got you know hundreds, if not thousands, of television stations. You got the internet. You know this this uh, there's so much you can do that's just streamed online. You don't have to leave your house for it's maybe free mm -hmm. some of it, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of it. So um, we're up against all that, and so um, it becomes more important for us individually as musicians to work together as musicians, um, hopefully together with arts administrations to help sell what we do, you know, uh, promote um, ourselves. Um, I mean, look, I think that's one of the big changes of the world with the internet in the last 20 years is this age of self-promotion uh, that, you know, um, I mean, it, you see it on Facebook all the time from individuals who self-promote incessantly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see what I had for dinner yesterday? I posted it online. 
Um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, though, no, we have to promote ourselves. We have to we work together, I think, because what we do has still such relevance, and, and the quality of what we do has probably never been higher in, right. in many right. ways. Um, and um, it's, it's importance and relevance in people's lives, we all certainly believe in, uh, and, and I think know as a fact that uh, it should uh, have a place in people's lives. So um, I think that um, what I see is uh, over, uh, in the last couple of decades is the musicians becoming much more involved in helping, helping to market, uh, working with their uh, uh, administrations, uh, their managements, um, to, to, to be more professional and to, to be more a part of that. And I think that's, um, you're seeing that reflected in the training at uh, music conservatories about, um, it's not just, you know, learn these excerpts, sit in that practice room, go win a job. Mm -hmm. You know, there are, uh, I think, uh, a lot of schools offering uh, entrepreneurial um, training, um, uh, training in, in how to use the internet, um, bringing in people who are in the business and picking their brains about you know what's going on in the business, so you, you're not uh, walking out of uh, uh, music school with a degree, not knowing what a contract is and what the issues are um, for orchestras. And I think um, you know that's a good thing. But what that does mean too is that you know it's not it's not paid hours. It's mm -hmm. done on a voluntary basis. God love those people who sit on orchestra committees and all the <laughs> other committees. Um, they have been there historically, you know, I mean, uh, that's where we got to, to where we are today, that musicians have with the unions and the, and, and the uh, musicians fighting for, uh, for better working conditions. That's where we've gotten to where we've gotten to today, and, and we can't take that for granted, but we don't want to move backwards either. Yeah. Uh, and these are the same issues you're seeing in, 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 in professions uh, anywhere in this country, health insurance and all that kind of stuff. Which you know is may seem boring to uh, a young twenty-year-old watching this video, but it's really, really important. It's and, very important. Yeah. Um, so, I think that um, yeah, that the idea of what we can bring um, and how we can package it and how we can uh, make people uh, first exposed to it and and then appreciate what it is. And you know, fortunately, we're also supported. I think by you know, you see studies about what music uh, training does for young kids and the wiring of their brains as they as they grow up from from a young age that uh, people who study music you know their brain does get wired up in a way it's a multitasking and areas of the brain that develop that that wouldn't necessarily or wouldn't wire up and connect the way that they do uh, mm. is that a good thing <laughs> <laughs> no and there's no question about that there's all kinds of studies that that prove that out so yeah. Uh, yeah. so you know these are things that why we have to you know that we need to bring to to the public's eye to to really say that we're an important part of society and we are an important part of of culture and that it, it can't just be sports or mm. whatever it mm. is that uh, uh, we compete for in, in the and the entertainment uh, people's entertainment budgets and and in terms of activities that they do we've got we've got to make uh, make make our own case I think for the public um, and um, you know, I think you know. Of course, what's always behind it is excellence, because you know, you do anything outstanding uh, to a really high level. You know, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. You know? yeah but yeah. you know, it needs a little help too. It needs a, it needs a push. And um, 
And I, th I think that it, there's also a relationship that I see uh, um, that is becoming, has developed again in recent decades between the musicians and their board of directors. Because the board of directors are people who donate a tremendous amount of money, raise money, but also donate a lot of their own money to see an organization like the Met. I mean, I was shocked, you know, it's a third of a billion dollars a year, over $300 million a year, the annual budget. Whoa. Yeah, which over half is, is, is raised, uh -huh. fundraising. Like $180 million is, is the numbers that's been talked and thrown around uh, in recent wow. years. I had no idea. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, a really major symphony orchestra might have a budget of 50, 60, 70 million dollars, you know. I mean, right. this is great, but opera is expensive. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you, you, want, you want those people to feel on board with you, too. And, and we have to appreciate what they do for us. Uh, and likewise, if they understand, too, what a day in the life for us at work is about, too, they might also come to appreciate um, what we do and how hard it is to do what we do and how we're just not anybody. Mm. You know, we've, we've, we've sweated for decades and poured, you know, since we were kids, mm. Uh, mm. all our energies into, into, into becoming who we are and, and what makes these organizations great. So, you know, I think, um, you know, that's, that's the direction that things have to, I think, move in in order to see the public still coming in and supporting us, see the, the money still coming and supporting us and, 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 and holding our place in society as, as vital to any, any, any society. I just saw an article the other day someone uh, sent around, uh, for, uh, USA Today, about, you know, a take on the headline going back to the recession of banks being too big to fail. Mm. And the, the, the headline of this article was orchestras being too important to fail and too important to society, and, mm -hmm. and we are. Mm -hmm. you know, and the, I think the, the, another thing that's, that comes up is, is uh, the economic impact uh, any arts organization has to its community. We bring in so many dollars that are not just to our, our organization, but restaurants and hotels and course, you yeah. know, all that tourism stuff. That, so we are a vital, important part of the economy. Um, and I think if you look at some of these uh, communities uh, where the orchestras are out currently, you asked the local restaurant owners and the hotels and uh, the other services, taxis and stuff, they're seeing, all, uh, I'm sure, a loss of dollars too. Yeah. So it's win-win uh, it's or it's lose-lose. And, yeah. and um, so we, we want to stay on the win-win side of things. Yeah, so, yeah you, made, you bring up a lot of great points there. So I uh, appreciate your insights on well, that. I'm not running for president. president. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have any experience. <laughs> you might be perfect. So uh, just kind of shifting gears in a rapid fire kind of way, we uh, wanted to ask you, what do you like in a conductor? What are the qualities that you look for? And if you feel comfortable throwing out a couple names, we'd sure love to hear that. But, it, but if not, just what do you look for in a conductor? A smile, uh, a reasonably clear beat, um, <laughs> and uh, some good musicianship. Uh, yeah, this is kind of, but uh, in all seriousness, you know, I mean, um, yeah, you want, you want somebody who, who who knows the music, you know, even better than you, um, has lived with it longer, has dug deeper, um, hopefully. Um, but, um, but someone also who I think trusts the musicians, you know, we, I've worked for Taskmasters, and, you know, they can get good results too. It always feels like, you know, with your head in a vice in a way, you know, uh, as opposed to being coaxed into pulling out the best uh, from, from you. So, yeah. Um, 
Th those are th those are the the usual qualities. I mean, people I've worked with just recently that uh, that I really uh, respected, enjoyed. We we just did uh, a string of performances of Tristan with Simon Rattle. Mm. You know, mm. can, can you argue with that? Uh, one of the most uh, talented and combination warm human beings I, I've I've ever met, really on the podium. Um, you get the feeling with him, it, you, he's just one of us. Mm -hmm. It's not like he's up on some ivory tower. Um, I mean, he even, he <laughs> I have to say I like uh, how much I like him because he gave me uh, a bottle of champagne after the run of Tristan t to share with my horn colleagues because he just said, you guys were so awesome through the whole run. And I was like, uh, nice touch. what have I ever gotten anything from a conductor <laughs> other than shit? Well, can I say shit? <laughs> you can Sorry. say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me get a bottle of champagne. Um, but no, um, uh, actually, um, our, our incoming music director Yannick uh, from uh, Philadelphia, also a really warm guy, who's just—it's all about the music, and we're in this together, and 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 we we're gonna you know have a great performances because you know it's people do their best work when when you know it's a combination of being relaxed and yet y your standards have been pushed you know because they they're, they are these are people with vision of how they want the music to go and they communicate that so uh here's another one i mean i've been lucky you know there's i, I loved working with mazel um the, you know just that he was a guy who totally trusted the orchestra but he was clear as could be um I, he had a great pair of hands i i felt um you know people sometimes criticize him for not being um warmer or whatever mm -hmm. but when he was on it was great hmm. i understand zubin Mehta used to be kind of like what you were describing yes. with simon randall very like wanting you and the the whole experience to be a very uh, he, great I, experience i only saw him as a guest conductor at the philharmonic uh or i saw him as when i was when i was younger i, I and i'd started the sub in the orchestra um he was still music director oh, in okay. those days okay. and i was lucky enough to do some tours with them where you got to see him nightly and and you know and in the hotel and whatever and uh, yeah he was also yeah very uh, again he, a friend of the other musicians yeah and uh you know, respected, but he didn't, you know, he was down to earth uh, with people. And, and I think he got some great performances out of the orchestra then, too. Certainly left the brass section, you know, yeah. he, he, he knew how to feature them. <laughs> <laughs> we had the great Phil Smith on the show, and, uh, and he was the one who talked about that and how, how he made, the, how Zubin made Phil feel when he had a big part coming up and just wanted, you know, wanted it to be great. And, of course, with Phil, it always was great. But, uh, oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah. uh, but it was it was really great the way he described it. I remember, you know, it was on one of those tours with Zubin conducting, um, and I was a sub, and so I was playing assistant uh, on a piece that required, you know, six or nine horns or something, you know. And so in this one hall we were at, uh, I think it was in uh, Leningrad at the time, mm -hmm. uh, now St. Petersburg, and I was sitting right in front of Phil Smith on flats. So there were no risers in that hall, and we were doing Zarathustra. And <laughs> imagine having that in the back of your head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah a lot of memories about uh, about those times too. Yeah, very cool. And you know, also, what do you look for in a se in a section mate? Uh, I know you have a fantastic section at the Met. Obviously, you came from an amazing section in the Philharmonic. But what are some of the qualities, especially for young people out there? That obviously, you know, uh, you're a great teacher and you influence a lot of young players. But for those who aren't fortunate enough to 
to uh, get to play with you or stay with you. What do you what do you look for? And uh, like as you described, you've been on many audition committees, so you have uh, I'm sure a very specific set of qualities that you're looking for. Yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, I, I am you know, lucky to have been part of a great section in, in at the Philharmonic and and uh, to have you know inherited uh, a great section at the Met. Um, and what I I guess what I value, I mean, because I've I, I've feel lucky too that I've seen it from both sides as section leader as well as from being inside the section is that sort of unity of purpose willingness to sort of put your egos aside to 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 function as a team to you know uh, soak up as much as uh, uh, as one can in in, in unanimity uh, just by listening listening mm -hmm. to each mm -hmm. other and mm -hmm. I think it's one of the great things about the Met Orchestra um, because we do spend so much of our time accompanying. You know, we have this great movements that feature just the orchestra and opera, but, you know, so much of the job, obviously, is accompanying singers on stage. And um, so it's an orchestra that really listens really hard and let well to each other. And that's, wh that's what I find uh, I appreciate so much about my colleagues at the Met, besides that they're great people and they're, and they're easy to work with. Because uh, that, that's the other thing, you know, that I've, I've learned, you know, over the years is, is the personal relationships, you know? Mm -hmm. That, you know, people, um, you know, re if re respect you and like you, they're more likely to uh, want to work together as a team and, 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 and work hard, go the extra distance, uh, to take criticism in the, in the spirit in which it, uh, criticism, suggestions, shall I say, criticism sounds too negative, but to take input in, 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 in the light in which it's intended, you know, when you have that, you know, really comfortable working environment. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky uh, uh, to, to be where I am right now. Yeah, well, they're lucky to have you, that's for sure. Um, as we kind of wind down here, and with your schedule, I'm, I can't, I'm so grateful that I you're willing go. to spend so much time. He's uh, playing with the Met and the Philadelphia Orchestra next week, and uh, it's unbelievable. So I, I, I wish you all the best with that. <laughs> if I'm still alive, it's just in about 10 days. Uh, <laughs> We're lucky to get you before that week, yeah, I guess. Really, but, uh, really, thank you. You know, you've shared some of them, but can you, uh, you know, just... It, you've had such an incredible career and, and going strong like crazy. You're going to have oh, yeah, many, many more over years. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> looking back on it, on the past 30 years, let's say, uh, just maybe three or four or five things that just jump I out of you. I was only about your four 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You've aged very well. Um, uh, just, just some sort of memories that uh, jump out at you as the most uh, prominent yeah. thoughts that you, when you look back. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I mean... Uh, you know, it's hard to separate when a, when a career, you know, like doing what we do, you know, is it, it takes up so much of your life that it's it's both personal and it's musical. I would say, I mean, I think one of the one of the great things about being a musician is is seeing the world and traveling. You know, because a lot of jobs, you know, will send you to all kinds of places, and so I know you've traveled everywhere <laughs> in the world. Uh, I've been lucky to be some cool places too and uh, yeah. it was my years at the Philharmonic that, that I saw you know so much of the world places like North Korea and you know Abu Dhabi and India and you know places I would probably not get to on my own um, and those are life experiences that, that uh, are still so vivid to me you know it's when you travel you remember so much about every day anyway but when you're in place that places that couldn't be stranger to you coming from this culture it, um, uh, or more different 
than this culture, it's, it's, they're still so vivid, those memories. So, um, yeah, being in, in certainly those three places I mentioned are, 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 are vivid in my mind amongst the many other places we traveled. And, and the fun times I had with my colleagues in those places, because, you know, we travel so much, you know, together and, you know, do dinners and, you know, some sure. drinking and some, and meeting local people. Um, so that, that's an impor important part of my memories. But um, some great musical memories. Um, it was um, at the Met, well, th this last run of uh, Tristan that uh, we did will, will always remain uh, close to me in my heart. Um, we did a, a, a production a few years back of um, Parsifal, Wagner's Parsifal, mm -hmm. with Daniela Gatti. Danielle Gatti uh, was the c conductor who, it's like, that piece is, you know, I'm sure on his altar of, because he, he knew it, he is totally absorbed in this piece. And those performances, which went out HD and, and they're, I think, available on, on DVD, those were, that was a, a legendary uh, performance for me. Mm. I thought it was, it's such incredible music. And, you know, it's playing it for the first time too, but I love that. Uh, certainly, um, uh, some some performances at the Philharmonic that are legendary. Um, some of the Mahler symphonies. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to do Mahler five uh, with Dudamel conducting without a rehearsal. Uh, Phil had a dental emergency that week, so wow. Yeah, okay. yeah, that was that That'll was exciting. Be memorable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had to throw out those clothes, but you know, I, I, it was a it was a fun week. It was, yeah. and uh, he's so electric as a conductor. And, uh, and and the, the situation itself made it all more electrifying. Mm. Um, but no, there was there's some, some beautiful performances that, that I'll always remember. So you think of, it's endless, you know, yeah. the great talents you get to work with, soloists and conductors. And yeah, so, well, yeah. you've had you've had uh, and continue to have one of well, the, yeah, one but, of the great uh, careers uh, of all time, well, in the, especially in the brass and French horn world. And my final question to you, Eric, um, you know, we didn't get to spend a lot of time on your teaching, but I've spoken to your, uh, uh, many of your students. In fact, I'm, the show I'm doing right now, Kyle Hoyt is the uh, French oh, sure. horn player who yeah. loves you and thinks the world of you now. Um, and that was echoed by other students of yours as well. If you were to, to look at young players coming up now, younger than Kyle said, like students that might be in Juilliard with you now, um, what advice would you have for them in terms of their audition process and and the best way to get a job. Clearly, you know how to take an audition and win a job. <laughs> um, what do you, if if you were going to give it out to everybody here, like what in, in a nutshell, what are what are some of those qualities that you would really stress for for young young players coming out of school right now? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think one of the most important things I, I would say to a young player, you know, I mean. Aside from all the usual things that you say to a young player, you know, practice and mm -hmm. things like that, I would say just, n you know, follow your passion, nurture the passion you have for music, and, and, and always be passionate about the music first, because that will change how you perform things. It's very hard when, you know, we all know when you're, when you're you know, trying to win your first job and, you, you know, auditions seem like, you know, SAT tests in terms of, you know, the pressure and how it's going to define your future. Mm. You know, it's music. Mm. At the end of the day, it's music. Get on stage and just play from, you know, you play your heart out because um, if you've done your homework technically and, and there's so many great technical players out there, the training, this age of information about sharing uh, information, it's available to everybody. Um, 
I think it's led to, you know, of course, every generation, the proficiency gets higher and, you know, stands on the shoulders of the generation before. Um, I just feel lucky I have a job <laughs> hearing <laughs> some of the talents that, that are out there now. But um, what I sometimes do hear lacking in, in the young players is, is, is that passion of, of, of playing, you know, uh, this music um, with, you know, absolute beauty in the forefront and, mm -hmm. and, and not so much the technical of like not wanting to screw up, you know. Mm -hmm. it's, it, you don't want to be that defensive. It requires li being able to live, uh, live on the edge a little bit more mm -hmm. uh, on, the, on the end of a, you know, tightrope without a net. But, you know, it, it be, you know, allow yourself to fail. It, you'll get there as long as you're, you know, really trying to create something special. And it, it, it's a process of understanding it, you know. It's, it's, um, you live with this music for a long time, but you, 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 know, you listen to it because you love it, not because it's homework. And, mm -hmm. and you practice it. Um, you know, no one had to tell me to, to, to go to the practice room with a book of uh, excerpts. I just couldn't wait to play this stuff. <laughs> I was just seeing the part was like exciting sometimes, you know. So that's the, the crazy passion that I had, you know, as a kid. But um, when you see that in, in, in these young players, you know that they'll get there, you know, they, yeah. they will. Well said. Well, Eric, once again, thank you so much. It's been an absolute thank pleasure you. to. Uh, thank you. You're to, the man. Uh, really, this is. You're the no, you're the man. <laughs> no, no, no. That, this is what you're doing here. Yeah. This, this this collection of interviews. It's gonna. What a resource uh, well, for people. Thank you. It's, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, and that you're being willing to be inclusive of horn, <laughs> horn, classical horn players, operatic we've got, horn we've players. We've got to get more. We've been very fortunate to have you and Phil and and Julia and uh, the the best of the best. But we're gonna to do our best to uh, expand oh. our horn base as we go forward. But, uh, but awesome to spend some time with you today, Eric. Um, Let me I've, put a plug in right here, too. This man's 20-minute warm-up book. <laughs> I still do it to this day. You know, what? time allowing. You were very generous <laughs> to say that. I didn't ask him no, to no, say that. That's very, thank you, Eric. I make my students, my students play out of it, too. Well, that's uh, awesome. Thank you for uh, saying that, and I'm glad it works for, for folks. But uh, anyway, I hope uh, everybody enjoyed this interview as much as I did. This awesome spending some time with the great Eric Rolski. Everybody have uh, happy holidays. Uh, enjoy yourselves, and we will look forward to seeing you on Bone to Pick in 2017.